Welcome back to the Rebuildable Podcast. I'm Matt Gentile alongside Drew Stevens. Drew, finally over. Season is done. Bulls finish at 40 and 42. They give us an exciting play-in game against the Raptors, pulling off an upset in Toronto, but can't get the job done against the Miami Heat. They are on the outside, looking in, not in the playoffs this year. What were your thoughts there down the stretch uh, with these last two games in the in the play-in tournament? I mean, just par for the course for this Bulls season, man. Zach Levine plays out of his mind in the second half against the Toronto Raptors, leading them to victory. You know, Bulls fans are at probably the highest point, the highest of the high that they've been all season long, despite um, what preceded that game and what would have come had they been able to get into the playoffs. And then they battled with Miami. You know, I think they did come to play. I don't think it was necessarily an effort thing. But Max Truce goes off. Zach Levine has arguably the worst shooting game of his career. And almost poetically, not only does the season end where it began on South Beach, but then their opportunity to win a fourth consecutive game falls by the wayside, which it had five of the ten, five of the times during the regular season. So it's just you, know, you could you could kind of say it all came together, man, just in a in, in a in a perfectly negative way. <laughs> you know, that whole thing about winning four straights is interesting. It's not only is it like four straight to end the year, but also four straight against the Miami Heat this season. If you really if you want to put it in that context too. So it's like they just never could get to that point. Like it was three or bust with the Chicago Bulls this year. So and with that game in Miami too, you actually after Max Struess goes off and look, Bam out of bio, he got to the foul line, but I don't think he had a great game. I think Nikola Vucevic actually held up pretty well against him. And I thought was, you know, getting some opportunities down low. And you look at his stats against the heat this season, he's actually played really well against the heat. And you actually just, you, you fight back into that game. And it was just sort of like a bizarro turn from the last game where Zach Levine, like you're saying against Toronto just goes off. And in this game is nowhere to be found towards the end of the game and struggles down the stretch. And, you know, to be fair, he's had some rough go arounds against Miami. Like Miami just game plans well against Zach Levine, but it does kind of suck. Cause I know you've been paying close attention to bulls nation on, on Twitter and it's been rough. A lot of the, the, and I love this term, this term that people use anti-maxers. I think it's a great, <laughs> great term for Zach. A lot of them are coming out in full force after that performance. And it, it's hard to argue against them because it's, it's moments like this that make you question like where he is in the pecking order in terms of all-star star talent in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's unfortunate, too, that it happened right after that Toronto game, because I think a lot of people were feeling the exact opposite. They said, oh, you know, Zach finally has a, a a really legitimate, meaningful signature game under his belt and not just some game in the middle of the regular season against and also ran Charlotte Hornets team, you know, so 
Um, the fact that those two games are the last games that are going to stick in our memories and his memory going into the off season, it just it, it it continues to fuel the fire of the questions that are going to have to be answered this season by the front office and mm-hmm. by a lot of the players that are you know seem to be um, destined to continue to be on his roster next season. I do want to address what Arturis Karnaschovas said in his lackluster end of season press conference and definitely put a bow on the on the year. But I do want to actually ask a just question about this Zach Levine debate. Um, I don't know about you. I think that there's a difference between guys that earn max contracts and superstars. And I think like the, the line gets blurred a lot because I think when we were growing up and watching a lot of basketball, like usually the max contracts were reserved for elite talent. And I think somewhere along the way that kind of got thrown completely out the window. And, you know, there were still guys like it late nineties, early two thousands. that got these big ma- massive deals. I'll give you one. Do you remember when Jawan Howard got like that, that big, I think it was like a seven year, six year contract worth like a hundred million dollars back in the day. And mm-hmm. that was like, what the hell? Like I, Jawan Howard, he's good, but not great. There's always been those outliers. But in today's NBA, like it's almost like there's slotted spots based on merit. So if you make all-star teams, you make all all NBAs, all those kind of things, like you're kind of just slotted into these these spots. And a guy like Zach did get slotted in for that kind of a payday. And I think if you hadn't paid him, somebody was going to give him that. And the Chicago Bulls, to me, have a reputation issue. Or, you know, at least a couple of years ago, where I think had to prove that they're willing to go that extra mile. And if you if you took one of the guys that is on your team, one of your bird right, you know, core players and didn't pay him, I think it would have been a really awful look. So I do think some folks have to kind of get off that hill that they're trying to die on about Levine not getting the max. Now, if we want to have a debate about him not being a superstar, I'm all there for it. And and I would agree with them on that. I don't think he's a top tier superstar. And I think he is at best a fringe all-star, but that doesn't mean you're not a top piece that can be on a a winning team. I I do think there's a spot for him to, to be there. So I don't know. That's, that's my take on it because in today's NBA, you do have to pay people. Like you just can't, keep kicking the can down the road and not bringing back one of your core guys. I think they had to do that. And I still think he's, a. if it's not this off season down the road, if you really need to, to hit the, the full reset button, I still think he's a movable asset given his offensive capability. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. You know, money doesn't necessarily dictate who achieves superstar status within the league like i think that that term gets thrown around a little too loosely i don't think there's that many superstars in the league Mm -hmm. um and and at this point in time i I definitely would not classify zach levine as a superstar um but i do think that he is someone that the bulls if they're not going to rebuild if we're going to take our tourist carnosovas by his word that he gave us on saturday during his end of season presser if they're not going to look to rebuild, he is the one guy that I think you hold on to. If for nothing else, 
than the fact that he is the closest thing this team has to modern basketball. And as we talked about before, he can pair well with any disgruntled superstar or star who may become available within the next four years. He has four years left on his contract, right? So the next right. next four years or so because of the way that he can play, the way that he can shoot, um, especially off ball. Mm-hmm. I love that. The, the closest thing they have to modern basketball. I think I, I definitely going to share that on Twitter later. Like just to tease this episode because that's perfect. Like be, you said it best. Like it is really the only chip they have, I think, in that regard. And it kind of speaks just to the the issues of this season when we look at roster construction. That that was really lacking on the Bulls. And I think you know this is a, a recap episode, but like I don't think Bulls fans really want to hear the same thing we've been talking about since November, which is the Bulls being bereft of three-point shooting, being uh, you know, lacking probably some form of like a, a three and D having a lot of redundancy. Like I'm trying to think, is there any other buzz phrases or buzz uh, uh, terms that I'm missing from this year that we've, we've definitely thrown definitely around rim, about issues. Rim protection. Is definitely rim protection. Uh, size, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. lack of size, uh, throw that in the mix too. Yeah. Um, and it, Billy Donovan supposed it. Well, let me not say supposed it. Billy, you know, a lot of people feel like Billy Donovan is not a good coach and that he doesn't make proper adjustments. So that we got to put that in the pot as well. And I, I don't know, like that one I struggle with probably the most is I kind of vacillate back and forth. I'm like, you know, after the fourth quarter in Miami, taking Kobe White out. And look, that wasn't the, the sole reason they lost. Okay. I don't want to make it sound like, that decision was the nail in the coffin for the Chicago Bulls, but certainly was one that you look back and go, okay, Pat Bev is passing up a lot of three-point shots. He's also getting, it seemed like, beaten in a lot of scenarios. Kobe White's giving you everything he's got. He's hitting big shots down the stretch. Why do you take him out? It, it made no sense to me. I think you even tweeted about that as the game was going on. Like, Yeah, and I know, I think the day after, um, Stefan No. Uh, of Sporting News, who I think a lot of Bulls Nation is familiar with from his previous work um, and his love for the Bulls as well. He he put together just a short video montage on why Billy Donovan may have made that adjustment. And it in his eyes, it may have stemmed from Kobe not setting solid enough screens to mm. get Tyler Hero switched on to DeRozan and to also give his give himself space enough to be a threat or option for DeMar DeRozan to pass to. While that makes sense, um, and, and props to Stefan No for 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 doing that, because that was awesome. I don't I don't I don't think I've heard anybody at that point, I don't think anybody had came out and even talked about that. But let me just real quick and and I'll I'll let you finish your point, but I will say Stan Van Gundy did point that out during the, the game about the issues with him setting screens. But yes, I did. Steph knows recap of it, I think was perfect to kind of summarize all that, but sorry. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. He did. You're right. Um, But even still, given the fact of of Billy Donovan saying that he thinks that Kobe White is becoming a two-way player and and the effort level 
and not even the effort level, the execution as well that we've seen Kobe White um, put in on the defensive level, his rotations, his awareness. I, I think you could have stood the kept. You could have he, he could have stood the kept uh, him in the game. You know what I mean for both his offense and his shooting to be a threat because we've seen a lot of a lot of guys pass up shots. And when you're playing with DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, who are going to draw so much attention, you have to have willing shooters. You can't have guys out there that are going to, you know, play hot potato with the basketball. So um, I, I can definitely see criticizing Billy Donovan for, for that for sure. You know, and it was like Miami was baiting the Bulls into getting the ball to Pat Beverly. And you saw it. There were moments where Pat Beverly was open and just swung the ball around. And it worked. I mean, that that's the, I think, issue with the, the Bulls going into this offseason clearly is how do you make these upgrades to enhance your ability to, I think, better fit around Zach Levine and, and find guys that actually can hit some damn open shots when they get the opportunity. And, and not even just hit them, take them. Like that is probably the biggest narrative. And th- there's another buzz, uh, you know, phrase that's been thrown around all season. Like, they just don't take enough threes for your liking. And, like, that's – in today's NBA, you have to you have to do that. It's it's a it's a numbers game, right? Like, if other teams are taking high volume of threes, eventually it's just going to keep adding up. And if you're all about mid-range jumpers and getting into the lane and, you know, I definitely want to see that but you also have to balance it out with three-point shooting in some way. And so it sounds like that probably will be on their radar, but I want to get your thoughts on on the end-of-season press conference. So it, my just initial thoughts, because I've seen a lot of the, the opinions thrown out there, I don't think he really gave you that much, all right? And I, a lot of folks caught on to that, but it seems like people are getting caught up in, in fact, it sounds like he wants to bring everybody back. To me, it just sounded like he was not trying to reveal anything. Because Casey Johnson said it best. Mathematically, there's no way you can bring everybody back. Because you know they're not going over the luxury tax with this team. So there's no way mathematically they can bring everybody back. So I think he was just kind of just playing everything close to the vest and saying he loves everybody to keep some level of flexibility open. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I don't think he was going to, you know, he can't, he can only play his cards, but so much. And we already know him to be a very secretive kind of operator. So I wasn't really expecting much. It was still a little disappointing um, to not hear him speak in more depth, at least about the struggles the team had or him to put so much stock in the last what, 23 games post-All-Star break plus the two playing games? Like, why are you putting so much stock in that when you have a much bigger sample size of what this team looked like going back to post-All-Star break 2021-2022? One thing that perked my ears up a little bit at the time was when he spoke about this team needing to change his shot profile. I said, oh, does that mean – I tweeted it. I, I said, does that mean DeMar DeRozan is, is going to be shot this summer? But then a couple responses later, he talked about the group and he kept referring to the group and making this group better and what he can do to support the group. And it's just, like you said, a lot of double talk, 
kind of talking in circles, talking around the questions that were being thrown at him. Um, and now I'm just kind of, you know, he can show me better than he can, than he can tell me. Yeah. What are you going to do? You, you have limited, seemingly limited ways to improve this team. But you also were in a similar position before the summer, he made the moves that got everybody so hyped. So let let let's let's see what he can come up with, um, him and the rest of the front office, what they can come up with this summer. Well, and that's the thing; he doesn't lack creativity. You you can't say that about this front office because they did operate as an over the cap team. Because I think at that point they had twenty million in cap space going into that uh, summer of twenty twenty one, and you know that wasn't enough to to land you those guys outright, but that's where you use the sign and trade market. Now, one thing I do want to get into here, because I kind of a, did perk up as well with that comment. Um, I think my guess is like that. I think the big three quote unquote of Levine, Vucevic to Rosen is going to be disrupted in some way. Now, Will it be completely gutted and one will be standing like Zach? That I'm still kind of unsure about. Um, like to me, I get this this sense they're going to double down on the Vooch acquisition because you decide not to trade him at the deadline, and you know that move for better or for worse in 2021 sunk you and you're going to come off looking like a complete dumbass if you don't bring him back or at the very worst swing a sign and trade. Like that would be the only way I think it would make sense to ship Vooch out as if there's some type of sign and trade that ushers in maybe somebody else coming back to replace him. But I don't know. I have a feeling that's the guy that's probably going to be back, which then leaves you know, possibly for movement with DeMar DeRozan. But how do you feel about the whole Vooch thing? Are you, what's your gut telling you? Given what I've, what I've read and, um, you know, how, how people who are more savvy with the cat machinations and, and things of that nature, it, it almost seems in, in the team's best interest to bring him back irrespective of how it's going to look to the outside world, given what they gave up to give them. Like they just need him because the other options that are going to be available, available to them with the amount of money they have, plus the other holes that they need to figure out how to fill. It just, it just seems like it would be in their best interest to try to bring him back. And honestly, we talked about this, at different points during the season as well. You keep Vooch, obviously you keep Zach. Um, they're not trying to rebuild anyway. And you float DeRozan out there and you see what he can bring back for you. Yeah, and I got yesterday, uh, I'll just let the listeners behind the curtain here, Drew. I just kept sending Drew random fanspo trade scenarios and i got into even like the cool thing with fanspo if nobody's ever checked out their website they have a really enhanced trade machine and it allows you to even sign free agents you can move draft capital uh really gives you an idea where you're at in terms of uh where you're at above the cap under the cap where you're at in terms of the tax 
And um, it's interesting. Like there's, I think scenarios certainly at play and, and I was, you know, messing around with some, um, but it, it's gonna, it's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting to see what the market could be like if DeRozan indeed is that piece dangled. And, you know, the reason that it got me why I was in that mode is Casey Johnson got on 670 the score yesterday. And again, one thing that we always say on this podcast, when Casey floats something out there as hypothetical, there's usually some meat and potatoes behind it. It's not just his gut feeling. Usually it's informed. And so Absolutely. he said that his antenna is more raised on DeMar than it is on Zach Levine. And I, I think that kind of echoes what we've been talking about for the last few months. Um, so it, it will be interesting to see. Cause like you'd be unloading $28 million off the cap by doing a, a move like that. Now, clearly you have to bring something back, but um, you know, it, it, it would certainly make things interesting. Um, you know, I, I think I, one of the things I threw out to you, Drew, um, was a trade with Memphis. And that seems like everybody really, you mentioned this to me too. Everybody seems to be really hyped on the whole Memphis possibility with the Bulls um, being able to, to move to Mar. But I don't know, would like, a, let me throw a hypothetical at you. If I, if I were, if you were Arturis Karnaschowicz, right? And I, I'm the Memphis Grizzlies and I call you and I say, look, um, we really want to enhance our, our, our roster. We want a defensive presence and we want a scoring wing. We'll take DeMar off your hands. That's salary off your hands. We also want Alex Caruso. So give us Alex Caruso. Give us DeMar DeRozan. We'll give you Tyus Jones, who's pretty solid point guard. You know, he's really, I think, coming to his own. Um, so you get Tyus Jones. You get maybe to help the salary line up a little better, you get Steven Adams. So could be potential Vooch replacement, maybe a backup um, because you have to make these salaries match. And it does get a little tricky with Memphis. And then we'll throw in somebody like a, I don't know, Zaire Williams, Kenneth Lofton jr. Would that entice you? Or do you think, eh, I need a little bit more than that? No, that, that would absolutely entice me. Um, Tyus Jones is like everybody's favorite backup NBA point guards, favorite backup NBA point guard. Like anytime they talk about point guards and um, those guards coming off the bench, his name is the first that gets mentioned. Given the situation that the Bulls have with not having that lead guard um, and Lonzo Ball's uncertain future, I think the Bulls could do way worse than Tyus Jones um, mm. coming in and kind of filling that role uh, for the Bulls. Zaire Williams, um, athletic, young. Uh, I think he still has a pretty good ceiling. Steven Adams, a mammoth of a human being. <laughs> Would you wave bye-bye to Vooch at that point? Or I feel like no, I feel like you had you 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 might have to just because you don't know what Drummond's gonna do yet. I mean, I don't I don't even think it's a given that he's going to opt into that player option that he has. 
mm-hmm. given how his role fluctuated here. And I'm not even sure if they could, if they'd be able to work. Would that work cap-wise today? I guess we wouldn't know so, until we figure out what, what Vooch gets. But So you'd be, in this case, you'd be moving out about $38 million in cap space by just taking DeMar and Caruso out. So that's thirty-eight million going away. So I think right now, as it stands, they have sixteen million. So you'd be adding a good chunk of cap space back now. Stephen Adams is I, what do I have here? Twelve point six million on the books. Tyus Jones fourteen, and then I threw Zaire as the other option, which I don't know if this makes it too hefty then, but four point eight million. So you'd be getting um, trying to do quick math in my head. Um, that's about twenty. Come on, twenty-six, about thirty-ish million coming back. So, you know, you're you're probably netting about six-ish million dollars, or no, eight-ish million dollars. Yeah, I, I, I probably wouldn't want to keep both. You know, mm. if that show were to go down, I still look to either sign and trade Vooch and keep Steven Adams. Yeah. Or maybe try to trade Steven Adams. You know, I, I don't think I would want both of those guys um, on the roster, considering Drummond might also be there, too. You know, somebody has to be the odd man out there. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because, like, the sign and trade options for Vooch, you you have to wonder like what's what's a team that's gonna wanna knock down Vooch's door right now? And like I saw um uh, uh why am I goose on tap? Um you know formerly uh bull scripted Keith, you know he threw out there like because I know he's thrown out the the DeAndre Ayton possibilities for a while. And he's like, is that the move that you that's potentially there for the Bulls is basically a swap where it's sign and trade uh, Vooch to Phoenix, bring DeAndre Ayton back in return. I mean, there, there's definitely some juggling I think you have to do there with salaries. But, you know, in that circumstance, like that's still a pretty hefty amount of, of salary moving out um, and or moving back in. So. I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think of other opportunities. Like, that would make sense, maybe. Um, you know, I, maybe it's a team that has bigs but needs more scoring. Like, I another one that I was kind of playing around with was, like, Atlanta. Maybe trying to ship out a Clint Capella type. Um, maybe trying to, like, I don't know. Like, they just want to do a complete roster reshuffle with Trey Young. I I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling to think of a spot. Is there one that maybe I'm just, that's totally obvious that I'm missing here. I thought I've, I've heard Dallas mentioned, but I don't know, you know, what their cap situation is like either. Yeah. Well, they, they don't have a lot on the books next year because, you know, Kyrie's a free agent. Uh, Christian Wood is a free agent. I mean, they, they actually, let me look this up real quick for next year because Dallas, I, like that's another team too. If you want to talk about Demar possibilities, again, you want to you're in last you're in last grasp mode. You're in desperation mode if you're Dallas for keeping 
Luka Doncic. So I, I, that's a team to me I'd be eyeing of like, ooh, could I possibly throw some stuff at them and see if I can even get um, possibly get like a some draft capital maybe. I, I know they they did give up. They, they don't have a ton, but you I think you can actually poach some pitch, picks from them. So next year, they have, according to Fanspo, Loading right now. This is great for a live presentation, by the way. Um, <laughs> they sit right now at 108 million, just under 109 million dollars of active uh, roster cap. So about 25 million in cap space. And that's without without really any holds. There, there's like 90 million in potential cap holds, and that's if you know again for. Um, probably a bulk of that's for Kyrie Irving. Um, So again, like that could be a team you might be able to work something out with. Are you interested in a Kyrie Irving? (laughs) Not at this point in time. No. (laughs) You want to talk about the nuttiest, you know, sign and trade, sign and trade swap. And just, (laughs) I, I think Bulls fans would, freaking lose it if that happened not in a good way <laughs> there'd be a lot of bulls fans pretty pissed oh yeah oh yeah um that'll make for some interesting conversation um if not a little rowdy conversation so i, I don't know that that might be a net loss there definitely um yeah and the other thing too, and I, just to kind of get to some other free agent stuff, and I'm, we're going to talk probably about this ad nauseum as we get into the summer. Um, but I don't know if you saw today that uh, Patrick Beverly did say that he feels he's worth anywhere from 13 to $15 million a year. It's nice knowing you, Pat. I don't think you're coming back next year. Um, <laughs> that's the case. <laughs> yes, that's um, a pretty steep price. I mean, I, I know they What's the old negotiating tactic? You always want to start high, but um, man, in, in that case, then because that that was a guy who I was thinking based off of Acme's um or uh, Arturis's press conference, with him being so married to what this team showed him post All Star break, you have to believe that Patrick Beverly favored heavily into what they were able to do, um, you know, accounting for the, the way that Zach Levine played down the stretch uh, and how Kobe White played as well and just the team in general. But, um, you know, you'd be a fool not to count Beverly as part of the the, the change that happened there. So if, if he's asking for that much, that changes the equation a little bit and, and makes things a little, a little hairier. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll give you this as a, a guy to keep your eye on. I think I've mentioned it before on the pod, but I'm just going to double down, especially after facing the Raptors. You know, that team is kind of in flux right now. There's a lot of rumors surrounding Nick Nurse and what the plan is there for, you know, possible changes. I would keep an eye on Fred Van Vliet if, if I'm a Bulls fan because that is the kind of perfect candidate of – giving you the option of a point guard, true ball handling point guard and a perimeter shooter. 
Plus, I think you're getting him at a pretty decent rate, still in a good window in his career, and probably a guy that you could easily swing a, a favorable sign and trade for if you wanted. So to me, that's that's a name to look at right now if you're if you're a Bulls fan. I would I would keep your eye on that because you know, I don't want to play you know up the whole Rockford zone and, and all that stuff, but you know, I think there could be some intrigue there. And it would seem like it would make sense for both parties. But I don't know. Would that intrigue you? It would. I just would be interested to see how much money he might be looking for because he has a player option. I want to say twenty million and some odd dollars. So he could be looking, you know, for a nice little chunk of change. Um, and I just don't know, in terms of the the financials, how that's going to factor into what the front office has available to them and what ownership is, you know going to mm-hmm. allow them to spend. I mean, I guess we, we probably can yeah. it's safe to say they're not going to go on a tax next year. Right. And you know, with, with him, with Van Vliet, it, he had a very interesting contract too. Cause I think um, he was making about 21 million. He had like a de-escalator in 21 as player options for 22, eight. So just under 23 mil. It, what I keep seeing, I, I see anywhere from 20 to 25 is the range I keep seeing for Fred Van Vliet. So I don't know, like could be doable because think about it. If you wanted, you would probably be paying Vooch that now, of course there's differences when you're paying somebody that's not on your roster. Cause I think Vooch, does he have bird rights? That's I'm not sure. That's a good question. I will look this up, man. Our, our listeners love this. Although this just shows dedication group. If we're doing our homework, even on the fly, we want to be I, accurate. I believe the Bulls have his, his borough rights. So I know that also kind of plays into the way your con like the way that you can handle, you know, signings and re-signings. So that I know that it's it's not completely apples to apples, is my point. Like paying Vooch that versus Van Vliet, you you will have to do a little more juggling if they do indeed own his bird rights, which I, th- I think they do. I remember seeing this earlier. So, um, just trying to find like one reliable source that can get uh... saying. <laughs> well, we'll continue to do this research and, uh, <laughs> If we can't find it on this episode, we will reiterate it definitely when we get closer to free agency. Um, but yeah, I'm that's just a name that I'm that's definitely piqued my interest, and in. I would just keep him on the radar, I guess, if I were a Bulls fan. Um, so just to, I want to put a bow on the discussion just about this this season, I guess. So I've said ad nauseum, I feel like the season kind of fell apart the minute they didn't find a a backup plan for Lonzo ball. And I think that to me is falling at the feet of Arturis Karnaschovas, Mark Eversley and disappointing that they just didn't have that backup plan. And I find it hard to believe they didn't know 
that this could be a problem as the year went on. Um, it was very evident he wouldn't be available early in the season. And even if you thought, well, we're going to get him back later, maybe closer to the break. To me, he should have just been cherry on top of the Sunday. That's all he should have been this whole season. And the fact that they just, I don't seem to think that Goran Dragic and Io Dusumu would be able to hold down the fort. I think it's kind of, hate to use like a really extreme term, but gross negligence on their part. It Really, I think, doomed the Bulls from the start. And that's why, you know, you ended up this year under 500 and in the 10th spot in the Eastern Conference. So I feel like it was doomed from the, from the start when free agency happened and there was really no major upgrade. And we talk about other areas of roster construction. But I think that was probably the biggest one because we've talked about how Lonzo's a unicorn, you know, the perfect guy to settle everybody into their role on offense and also be able to contribute from the perimeter consistently and, and shoot at a high clip, make threes at a high clip. That was probably the two biggest things that were missing from the Bulls, trying to get these pieces collectively on the same page and the lack of shooting. So to me, that's where it all went wrong. For you, is there anything that you would point to as the main issue that you know put the Bulls in the position they were in? I would agree with what you said. I think just, just not being able to have that forward thinking to shape this roster a little bit better and not just count on in-house development the way they did. And to your point, um, Zach Levine, during his end-of-season presser, mentioned how guys were playing kind of out of their role ever since Lonzo went down. You know, he did, you know, of course, give Ayo Sumo and Kobe White and um, Patrick Beverly. I'm sorry, Ayo Sumo and Kobe White, their props for um, what they were able to do before the all-star break, but he made a point to say that once Patrick Beverly got here, that he felt like everybody kind of settled into their roles a little bit more. And that speaks to your point, how, you know, if you get the right kind of point guard in here, that's going to kind of dictate the action more so than Levine and DeRozan. If one of, or both of those guys are going to continue to be here, that is, a big part of what you need going forward with this team as well. If it's going to be more successful than it has been to this point, you know, it's not just three point shooting. Maybe you can find a three point shooting point guard. You know, you talked about Fred Van Vliet and Tyus Jones, um, you know, uh, Javon Carter in Milwaukee is not going to blow anybody away, but you know, I believe he's an area guy too. And um, he's shown some improvement. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if he's necessarily a starter, but you know, they, they, they need to be able to kind of cast their net far and wide to figure out who they can bring in here and, and help kind of settle things, um, and put a better product on the court next season. Mm-hmm. And just to confirm, yes, the bulls do have Nikola Vucevic's bird rights. I just... Just saw it pop in, so we were right. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, no, and it, it's going to be a fascinating 
off season. And I don't think it's going to be full status quo. I think there's, there's a good chance of a good amount of the players that you're familiar with are going to be brought back. But I do think even based on what they said around the trade deadline, I, they know that there's something rotten in the state of Denmark, you know, like they, they know, but again, this was the issue in the summer. Are they going to have the full complement of resources that it would take to tweak this team? You know, are they going to have the ability, you know, to ship out the players they want to ship out? Cause here I'll, I'll say this, like, you know, I've talked a lot about DeMar. I do have this one concern in my head. Does ownership want to see a guy like DeMar DeRozan leave? Because, you know, they really have, I think, appreciate what he's done. And they also like the fact, you know, he, he makes them good to a point where at least, you know, the Bulls might be somewhat competitive. And he's a, he's a star name, quote unquote. So I do worry about that possibly getting in the way. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I think maybe I'm overthinking it. I, I might just have a lot of uh, Bulls angst. No, I think it's it's um it's appropriate though. I, you know, you you wouldn't feel this way if if you weren't given reason to feel this way. Um, mm-hmm. And what we know about ownership and how they they seem to love just being in the middle, you know, not bad enough to well until this season <laughs> to miss the playoffs and not quite good enough to really contend. You know, they if my memory serves me right. They've sold out or been the uh, number. They've been number one in attendance, something like seven times out of the last ten years. Mm-hmm. And as long as butts are going to be in the seats, I don't know how realistic it is for us or anybody to think that they're going to be selling the team. You know, especially this. This is a whole another conversation. We'd have a whole another episode on. But given the way the ticket prices are, I feel like the people who are most upset about this team and are really kind of rolling their eyes at the Reinsdorfs aren't the ones who are shilling out the money to see this team that often or that frequently. So bingo. I don't know, man. <laughs> bingo. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like that's been the one thing um, I, I've been kind of saying for years. And I, I don't begrudge casual fans or people that go and spend money to watch games. I, I really, I don't want to get into that kind of debate but but those are also some folks that you see at the uc that are kind of there taking clients out consistently a lot of businesses have season tickets to bulls games you know it's not just in the suites it's even in the stands so you know that's the one thing that does frustrate me sometimes too because like i think if you really want to affect change it does have to be sometimes taking a stand. It's tough, but I've always been pretty consistent. Like if I don't see a winning product, I'm not coming to games. Like the only way that I would go to a game, if a team was losing, if I knew they were putting together a young and improving roster, like I'll give you a great example. Last year's Sacramento Kings team. If I were in Sacramento, that would be the type of team I'd go and be what and pay money to see. Because I know at some point, maybe the the, tor- the corners are going to be turned. And it paid off. 
you know, and I'd say the same thing, like right now, um, as a bears fan, that's a team I go see. Cause I'm like, mm, I got a young quarterback. I have a lot of young talent. They might have been three and 14, but I'm, I'm willing to shell some money out and go watch that team play. You know, I dealt with it with the Cubs too, when they were in the midst of a rebuild, I wanted to go see that team. Cause I knew there were some pieces coming. Um, with this Bulls team, I mean, there was a point where that was kind of going on, but I think there was also just frustration about, you know, gar packs and everything. And I think there was a point where fans were kind of pushing back. I, I'd say 2019, 2020, there was pushback and it did create some change. But now I think, man, it's crazy. I, it, that's kind of go down a different rabbit hole, but the conversation going around with, Lack of trust in Arturis Karnaschovas is crazy to think we're where we were two, three years ago. And, you know, there's some, some folks on, on Twitter. I'm going to call out one guy because he's one of my favorites, Salim Sertawala. Dude, Salim and I were ecstatic. I had him on a round table and, and he was so excited to have just new blood. And I think everybody was, but now he's even like, dude, this guy, don't, I don't know if he actually knows what he's doing. And it's just crazy to think that, um, that it's, it's changed that quickly. How one season has effectively turned everybody 180 on Arturis Karnaschovas. And you know what? Rightfully so. Because I think you and I sat here leading into the summer. I think we were expecting a lot more. I really do. Uh, and continuity be damned. I still think there's ways to have continuity and improve the roster. And I think that's the problem is we all kind of were raising our eyebrow then giving them the slight benefit of the doubt. And now it's kind of like we're all saying, we told you so, you know, I yeah. think, you know, yeah. I mean, you, you know, you go the previous trade deadline, you don't make any moves. You make moves on the margin this past summer. Um, you don't make moves at this trade deadline and you, bring in Pat Bev uh, buyout on a buyout market, you know, it just, it builds the frustration up. The apathy I feel like is, you know, palpable. Um, you know, anytime you, you, you force a guy who used to use your name as his Twitter handle to switch from that to a different name. I'm talking about our tourists, the 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 person formerly known as Arturis Karnasovas fan club. Yeah. <laughs> shout Things out to Ross. Have, yes, shout out to Ross. Things have totally gone left field. Totally gone left field. Yeah. And it's something that he's gonna have to earn back the, the respect of the fan base. And you know, it's gonna be tough this offseason. Like I think he's gonna have to do a very interesting reshuffle um, that does bring in, I think an injection of something that you can look and say, you know what? I can buy into that. I can buy into a vision where I'm kind of having my cake and eat it too. You know, like we've used the DeMar DeRozan chip idea. And I, I think that's, that's going to be it. And it might be guys that we like. I love Alex Caruso, but if Alex Caruso can return something of value, I don't give a shit like time to reset in that case. If you get something. Yeah. And, and while 
fans still filled up the United Center. This this Bulls team was one of the most dislikable ones I can remember, like in recent memory. And it's not collectively. Collectively, yeah, it's like not the individually like great guys. Guy. Yeah. It's just, man, so up and down. The effort, you never know what team is going to show up in what quarter. Um, no 20-point lead is safe. But then sometimes you can say the same thing about their ability to come back on an opponent. So it's, it's just very um, – it was a very unstable kind of season. Um, yeah. Toxic in some ways because of – their ability to pull us in at different times and then just consistently pull the rug right from out, out Ralph, right from out from underneath us uh, yeah. at a moment's notice. So I, you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, like you said, there's a lot of goodwill that needs to be restored, not even with our tourists. I think just, you can say, I think you can say that too about, about Zach Levine, you know, Billy Donovan and Billy, I mean, yes, Billy Donovan. It's, it's like the whole brain trust and the core like need to be fully restored. I think the only person that's receiving probably consistent praise, well, I'd say there's two people. I think DeMar DeRozan has, I think Bulls fans have, you know, hitched their wagon. him. They know there's flaws, but they respect him. I think, I think that's pretty consistent throughout the fan base. I also say Kobe white, Kobe white's the guy that I think built up a ton of equity this year. You know, showing you that he's been a willing two-way player, and yeah, you know, having moments that the stats won't show it, but I'd argue that he came up big for the Bulls in a lot of key situations. And you know, that Miami game, I do think there were moments there down the stretch where you're like, "Hmm, he's he's giving you something." And especially, I'll give him this from three. It's not always consistent, but at least he tries. You know, that's. That's the one thing I do appreciate when he's feeling it. He's not going to be gun shy. And especially if he gets an open look, he's not, he's not going to turn it down. So um, it's going to be interesting. And, and it's one thing I'm excited to do with you as we get into this off season. Now, um, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of interesting things. I think we can uncover from episode to episode because there's a lot to get into with who's, who's going to stay. I mean, there's free agents, right? Io, Kobe, Vooch, you know, Javante. Javante, there's gonna be the trade market speculation. And you know, who knows with the draft now? Because you know, they they won that tiebreaker against the Thunder. So now they have an eight and a half percent chance to get into the top four and a one point eight percent chance now to get the number one pick. So long shot on both sides, but still I got something to monitor as we get closer to uh, the lottery in, uh, in mid May. So it'll, it'll definitely be interesting. Um, before I, I want to talk about something too, about you covering the team, but any final thoughts just on the, the season in general or anything that we didn't get to that you want to, to yuck it up about? No, I think we pretty much, we kind of tied a bow on it pretty nice and neatly um it was it was quite a ride i just say that man yeah <laughs> no it it definitely was it, it definitely was and uh man i 
it was crazy though because like you, you think back to when um i reached out to you about starting the podcast back up bring you on as a co-host and everything and i think it was with the thought like oh this is this is building on a big season from the year before and who knows where that stepping stone's gonna go and you think about it like three weeks in it was like wow this, this are, they really meant that whole continuity thing <laughs> you know <laughs> and here we are um 40 and 42 and um you know i feel bad sometimes because it, it does seem like we've hit on a lot of the same key themes but hard to ignore it you know it, it's been a lot of the same story you know from the minute uh the season started so um but it's been a lot of fun it's been a yeah. lot of fun to get on the mic it's, it's it really has this this has been one of the the brighter spots of the season being able to talk to you on a weekly basis whether it be through this podcast or just back and forth chatting with each other um through text messages uh so so i'm i'm grateful for that uh for sure i think we've both talked to each other off the ledge i know you've helped talk me <laughs> off the, the ledge sometimes and just it's good therapy you know yeah but you know what i think i think we our belief was was for what this team could be was was bigger than our expectations you know because of what they did or didn't do in the off season. Like we knew we had a good feeling that this wasn't going to be a, a championship level team or even a team that could host the first round playoff series. And as I'm looking back on it now for our tourist Karnasovas to have the stated goal of this team winning a first round series, given the moves that, he made in the off season and the amount of weight he was putting on the guys that were already here and just hoping that they would develop. It, it was delusional. It was, it was delusional. That right there was the death knell for him because if he just said, I want to roll it back and see what this, this core can do. I think it would have been fine. I actually think there would have been a little, little less blowback than if he, you know, he added that statement of improvement in the postseason, right? So if you were going to be better than last year and advance in the first round or advance out of the first round, in order for that to happen, you had to probably be better than a sixth seed. And I think what was so frustrating too you watched Cleveland leapfrog you very quickly. And I remember being so red ass the day that trade was made when Donovan Mitchell ended up in Cleveland. I like right then and there, I was like, this is not good. I think we were texting about it too. Like this isn't good. This is Bulls fans should be pissed because to me, like I'm not saying Donovan Mitchell was a likely person to, to come to Chicago, but the Bulls should be a team that's in these conversations for player movement like that. I'm not saying it's him, but people adjacent to, to a guy like him, you know, that's where the Bulls should start thinking about the next step. And I think the Bulls actually, like, that's the thing they had, I think that equity last off season, like to be that team that's on the fringe. And now it's like, they've just 
gone back to where they were probably when they made the Vooch trade in 2021. Like, I think we're back there. So it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, another thing that was crazy, though, this year, you ended up getting credentialed and covering some Bulls games for It's the Bigs. And we brought that up. And I definitely wanted to just talk with you about that, you know, as, as, as we kind of like put a, a bow on the season. Like that's certainly something I think worth noting. And, you know, could you kind of like just kind of go back? Like how did this opportunity come about for you to start covering the team and, and getting media access for, for this for It's the Bigs? I think it all pretty much can be traced back to working with um, We Are Regal Radio, um, my relationship with with Kyle Means over there, and just our previous relationship. You know, both of us went to Southern Illinois University at Carbondale, um, you know, and there was something I had written out of nowhere just on the last dance docuseries that came out, and he read it, and was like, man, you you still got it, basically, and and asked me if I would still be interested in, in writing for, for War Media, which I did. And I did that throughout, you know, the next several months. Um, and through my connection with Kyle and Kyle's connection with Eugene McIntosh and Terrence Tomlin with um, It's the Bigs, I was able to swing over and help cover nine or 10 Bulls games this season, um, just based off, you know, my relationship with Kyle Mean. So that's pretty much where it, it, it started. Um, you know, myself and, and Joshua Hicks, who's also with War Media, were able to get in the building um, and kind of experience things from the other side, which was uh, a dream, dream come true, um, a little nerve wracking at times, but an experience that I won't ever forget. And I hope to have more of next season. If you can kind of give people a peek behind the curtain, what's it like on a game day? Like maybe if you could talk through maybe some of that pregame portion of it, like what's that like, you know, getting into the building and and going to, you know, the different like pregame press conferences, interactions, like what's all that, what usually goes on when in that pregame portion of it? Um, so, you know, I have a regular nine to five that I work, um, typically the Bulls games would be at seven o'clock. So Billy's post, uh, pregame press conference will usually start, I want to say at five fifteen. the opposing team's head coach would be around five thirty, and then you could have access to each team's locker room for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, uh, after that. Um, I did my best to kind of haul ass from from work to get to the, the United Center. Some days it worked, some days it didn't. But, um, you know, being in that environment, being around all the wonderful reporters and writers that we have that cover this team, um, it was very informative, very educational. Uh, you know, it's, it's just kind of like you're, you're looking at the people who you want to be able to call peers and you're learning from them even if you're not asking direct questions, just based off what you see, what you hear, um, the types of questions you hear them ask, 
the follow-ups you hear the mass. Um, and it just gave my own journalism background. You know, I'm coming into this with um, some tools in my tool belt as well. So I will say this, I think Billy Donovan, um, I really like Billy Donovan just as a person. Um, always very um, thoughtful in his responses. Definitely talks around some things sometimes because he's not going to give you, uh, you know, too much tea on the team or, you know, ridic ridicule his guys publicly. I think that the closest thing we saw to that was um, the night of the Orlando game where they ended up losing on a Suggs, Jalen Suggs buzzer beater, where he just talked about how the big three needed to play better, irrespective of any of the young guys, that the big three just had to be a big three. Um but you know he was he was throwing a lot of tough questions. He took a lot of bullets this season for the front office, um, which is part of the reason why I think he didn't need to be at the end of season presser um, as kind of Arturis' shield, so to speak. Like he took those bullets already. Like those should have been just for him, just for AK. Mm -hmm. um, but aside from that, just you know being able to get out into the to the floor. United Center floor and actually step out onto the court and, and see guys warming up pregame and the type of things that they do pregame wise with their shooting coach or um, their strength and conditioning coaches, things of that nature. It, it was just very cool, man. Those guys are, are everyday people, man. You know, laughing and joking behind the scenes. Um, they were pretty, pretty respective of obviously the media, but um it's just surreal, man. Just surreal. As soon as I stepped into the entrance for the media, got checked in, walked down the stairs and into the lower bowl of the stadium, um, walking past players, coaches, into the media room, again, uh, kind of rubbing elbows with the ladies and gentlemen who I read on a daily basis, who's, you know, mm -hmm. insight. I try to use to inform myself of my own opinions on this team. It's just, it was an unbelievable experience. That's awesome. And um, like that experience when you, when you go in, you know, and you're doing that, all that pregame stuff, um, like somebody like Billy Donovan, like he's interacting with a lot of these beat writers. It seems like, you know, a daily basis. Um, so when you're there and, you know, first time does, do they make an effort to kind of introduce you to him? Or like, do you have a chance to introduce yourself in those cases? I mean, I'm assuming he also could maybe spot you and be like, Oh, Hey, you're also very tall. So that, that helps. What, six, six. So, yeah. so yeah. does he like, what, what goes through that? I've always wondered when a new reporter or new person from the media comes in to do those things, usually what happens. Not with Billy Donovan so much. Um, the PR, their PR team kind of whisked him in and out mm. uh, pretty quickly. So there wasn't a whole lot of one-on-one -on -one time separate from his pregame and postgame pressers. Um, I should also point out that because of my schedule, I, I wasn't ever able to get to a practice. So I think had I been able to do that, I might have been able to actually like formally introduce myself instead of him just seeing this face, shooting questions at him mm -hmm. postgame. Um but the players are a little bit different. Uh, you know, you can see them walking through the tunnel and 
you know, you might like I stopped Patrick Williams one day and introduced myself to him. And this was maybe two or three games before the Lakers came to town. And I reminded him of how he was coming up on what was going to be like his, what would have been him playing two full regular seasons worth of game. So, which he didn't really, he didn't know at the time. So it was, it was cool, man. The guys are really, for the most part, pretty laid back, man. Um, yeah. And and I guess without like divulging too much that you, you maybe don't want to share so you can kind of keep your credentials. Um, <laughs> like, was there somebody that stood out to you? Like a, a player that stood out to you as somebody that, you know, you really enjoyed interacting with who was really respectful of, of your time and, um, you know, somebody that, again, just you want to say like, hey, that that player, really good dude really was just good even talking off the record and whatnot um all, all of those guys were, were pretty respectful of the media um i think billy donovan like stands out in terms of my the interactions i was able to have ab- above the rest just again because he he took so many bullets for the front office and he did it without blinking like night in and night out um to me that was impressive i, I, I some other people might feel like that's a part of his job description he should do that regardless but to me that really kind of stood out um and Patrick Beverly as well you know from afar he he sometimes can maybe come across as somebody that's real short with the media but very professional um gave his time whatever he was required to do I think I thought he answered questions pretty thoughtfully and if you asked him something that he didn't necessarily agree on he would not necessarily call you out, but he would let it be known, you know, which I think is, I think is, is a good thing. You know, it, it, it kind of lets you know what that player is about a little bit more than if he just spits out generic answers left and right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting to me because in the NBA, I think it more than any other sport, I feel like those guys are the most media savvy. Like in, in the NFL, to me, it's like a whole concoction of like liars and people that assume that there's state secrets to be held. Like, don't get me wrong. You you even said Billy will walk around or talk around certain questions. But I do feel like he's, he even still finds ways to give you something of substance. And I even think like NBA players are a little bit better dealing with the media consistently after losses. And they have to do it 82 times a season where in the NFL, it's like 16 and maybe a couple postseason games. But yeah. in the NBA, I feel like those guys, I think they get it because they understand like they're the stars, right? Like the league revolves around them. So I feel like they, I feel like NBA players get it the most. Um, like, so it, it doesn't surprise me that like you had at least some decent interaction with the players. Um, yeah, I recall you, like you had a video. I remember that was up. Um, I think it was an interview with, or just a couple questions you had asked Patrick Williams and you, you were like right there in front of him <laughs> filming his answer. Dude, that guy is freaking massive. Like I didn't like you, you look at him. He looks like this just solid rock. You know what I mean? Like, and then you see him up close. You're like, yeah, no, that my eyes aren't kidding. That guy is a fucking beast. 
Yeah, I mean, there's, there's reasons why, you know, he was compared to, and even still sometimes it's compared to Kawhi Leonard, just that body type, the body frame, mm-hmm. the size. Uh, he, he He's a solid guy. He's a solid guy. Um, to that To that point, one memorable experience, I guess you can call it that, is that I was able to cover the game against the, the Memphis Grizzlies where mm-hmm. they stormed back and the United Center was rocking. It really felt like playoff basketball in, in, in that arena that, that day. I think that was an afternoon game on a Sunday. But before the game, you know, I'm, I'm in the tunnel. I think I'm waiting for uh, the pregame press with Billy or just shortly thereafter. And I'm standing there and who walks right in front of me or right right past me, but Steven Adams, who obviously didn't play, hasn't played in quite some time because of, because of her injury. And that dude is massive. He is a large human being. I think that we know that these guys are big, obviously, but I'm watching him walk past me, and I'm just looking at, like, how wide his shoulders is, how, t- how, t- how tall he is, and it's like, man, how does anybody – get a rebound off of this guy. Mm. So what you're saying and, and, is that, that trade scenario. Yeah. That's why you're intrigued. <laughs> it's no it's no wonder he's one of the best screeners mm. in the league. Like who's who's getting past that? Who's fighting through that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why like it's insane to me too cuz um I mean, that guy too. I got to look this up. I don't even think he's as old as we think he is. Too, because I know I was shocked when I saw this because he's been in the league for a while, but kind of like Andre Drummond in that way, right? Like it feels yeah. like he's been in the league forever. Yeah. Okay, so he's going to be thirty in July. He's only twenty nine right now. <laughs> like, it's fucking crazy to me. Like I, you look at him, I always think, oh, this guy's in his like mid thirties. No, he will not be thirty until this July. Yeah. It's crazy. So. Um, so you mentioned that, that Memphis game is being memorable. Um, were there any other like key moments or anything specifically from that game where you were like, wow. Just the atmosphere, just the atmosphere. It's yeah. been a long time since I've been to a, a playoff game at the United center, unfortunately, but just the way that crowd lit up once they were starting to make that rally and they completed the rally and they continued to pour it on. Um, getting turnovers, running out in fast break. Like, it just was – it was uh, an awesome atmosphere to, to be a part of, man. Um, kind of one that made the, the hair on your arm stand up for good reason. So uh, that's something. I can still kind of feel it just thinking about it right now. It was, it, was, it was fun times, that particular game. All right. I think this is my last question for you. How tough is it? Because, you know, I, I know you have a journalism background. But, you know, you've, you've been mostly a fan of this team. And how tricky was it for you to sort of toe that line and, and at least in the that setting with other media members, try to turn it off the fandom a little bit? Was it was it a little harder than, than you anticipated? No, I don't think it was. I don't think it was hard to do that um you know you 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 come into it 
knowing you're there to do a certain job. So because because I know what I'm there to have, where what I'm supposed to be doing when I'm there, it kind of puts the blinders on. And for that two and a half, three hours, I'm kind of turning off the the fan the fan inside of me that's been rooting for this team since I was a four or five year old boy. Um, now that doesn't mean like inside as I'm watching guys walk past me, I'm walking past Rick Carlisle, I'm in Jason Kidd's pregame press conference and Eric Spolster's pregame press conference. And I see John Paxson walking around, Arturis Carnosovas and Mark Eversley walking around who are two big guys themselves. Like that doesn't mean like in my mind, I'm, I'm not thinking like, damn, I'm actually, I'm here, you know? Uh, but I think I, I, I think I, um, purported myself well and was able to, you know, keep the, the fan in the at bay <laughs> hmm. while I was there covering games. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I actually do have one last question about this. Shoot. I was in the arena and I was trying to find where the hell does the media sit nowadays? Because it used to be behind the basket, and it was more obvious back in the day because there were there were more like, like pronounced media outlets with multiple beat writers, so it was sort of different. Yeah. But where's the media at right now watching these games? Like, where's the exact vantage point? And especially for you know dummies like me and, and people that don't get out to the UC a lot, like where does the media sit in relation to the court? So. Um... Casey Johnson and Jamal Collier, Julia Poe, um, Joe Cowley, they're still like behind the basket. Okay. That's their setup. And then there's also media sitting, seating kind of spread out um, on, a, on the 100 level, maybe four spots or so. Uh, I was lucky enough to be in, in one of those sections for the majority of the games. Sometimes I would, they would have me and Josh and Eugene and Terrence up in the like press box way up, which wasn't terrible because you get a really good like bird's eye view. You're just way, way up. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're seating throughout. Um, unfortunately, with it's the bigs, we weren't guaranteed a 100 level uh, seat all the time, depending on who was in town. Like I was able to cover that Lakers game when the Lakers were in town. They put us in a 300 level because they had to accommodate like more national media for that game. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was, yeah, national. And then LA media has a pretty good contingent, I know, for the Lakers beat. So, yeah. Yeah. Those, those Laker games, man. I went to a Laker Bulls game in 2009. It would have been December of 09. So imagine that. That's Derrick Rose's second season. Mm -hmm. And it was also a game where, you know, Lakers are defending champs. Kobe and Paul Gasol are in town. I still remember, I'm in the 100. It was I got the tickets from, it's like a friend of a friend. And right behind us, we suddenly see all these people like cheering and, and waving. And all of a sudden I look behind me. And in one of those like 100 level suites is Magic Johnson. And I'm like, holy shit. Like I was literally 10 rows away from Magic Johnson. <laughs> And then yeah. all, but then I just remember seeing him also just like eating food, like just eating spaghetti or some type of pasta dish. I'm like, hey, he's just like me, but not really. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, it was crazy. And the one thing that stuck out to me though was how much media was there. It was insane. Yeah. Like I just remember, you know, at that time it was a, a meteor Chicago uh, contingent. There was a ton of LA beat writers. There were columnists there. Cause that like, see, that was the thing back in the day. A lot of columnists too. You would go out to these big marquee games. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely changed. <laughs> um, so yeah and that was like i noticed that right away like wow the the media setup seems a lot different now so right. i'm kind of curious like where everything was but yeah. <laughs> um, that's oh that's awesome and you know congrats on you know being able to do that and you know hopefully next year you also get that opportunity to you know get in there and cover some games i mean certainly you know, it's something that you, know, you definitely earned with your writing because one of the reasons you're you're on this pod is all that writing you did. I know for War Media, I just remember, um, you know, I, I think I had you on. I actually went back and listened to this like a couple months ago, and you had, you had called in on the phone, like you actually dialed in for yeah. that interview. And I guess. Remember that. Do you know what the episode was? Um, we're talking about Zach Levine, right? We well, we were. It was um, off the heels. Oh, oh, I, do you remember? Go ahead. No, I can't remember. You go ahead. You go ahead. It literally was recapping free agency twenty twenty one. I mean, that you want to talk about how crazy that is. We were literally recapping. I think the the name of the episode is "The Bulls Are Back, Baby." That's the name of the, I'm 99.9% sure that's actually the name of the episode. And wow. it was talking about all the moves that happened in that, in that summer. So you were like that first guest that kind of ushered in that era of Bulls basketball <laughs> and Hey, everything kind of came full circle pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I, I do have to say this and I really appreciate you agreeing to do this. I know there were some kind of like rocky points, especially when it was like in the off season, because my job was getting hectic. Certainly I've had a lot of life events, but I think you've brought a, a new revitalization to this podcast. I think it was sorely needed because flying solo and doing, you know, niche episodes all the time you can only, you know, ride that pony so frequently. So it was, it's been good to kind of have a, a breath of fresh air um, and be able to, you know, do these more frequently with, without working yourself into a tizzy on your own because talking <laughs> to yourself could be tricky. Matt, that, that means a lot, you know, how I feel about you in this podcast and how humbled I was and still am for you to allow me to be a part of this, man. And, um, you know, I'm one of those people that, you know, you could you could give me a hundred compliments and they all roll off my back, but you tell me one negative thing and it just sticks in my cross. So I have a little bit of a, a little bit of like an imposter syndrome. Like I always want to make sure that I'm presenting myself in a certain way. And that can be very stressful, man. For so for you to to say that it does really mean a lot, man. There's a lot of times where, you know, we've been doing this pod and I, I question myself in terms of, man, am I I wonder if if Matt is pleased with what I'm bringing to this podcast or if he's regretting, you know what I mean? It's just, that's the way my, my, my mind can sometimes be my worst enemy. So I, I, I appreciate you, man. 
No, I'm not regretting one bit. <laughs> and I, I really mean that because, you know, and it's it's always been tricky and like it's it's not easy. And, and to kind of let I think listeners behind the curtain, it can be tough sometimes, like adjusting to having a co-host. Like it, it was a it was an adjustment. I mean, I think it, it, it did get a little smoother over time. But like, you know, it's it's easy to kind of, you know, talk solo. And I, I do appreciate you kind of like still letting me in my natural spot of kind of being the point guard of things you know being in that lonzo ball role i, I <laughs> you know I, I still am in the most comfortable spot kind of facilitating with more more questions and stuff but um no i i think it's gotten a lot better as the years gone on and i'm definitely looking forward to getting into into more stuff and i think with this off season it'll be very interesting um but let me ask actually one one other question here about just podcasting in general. What do you think has been the most interesting thing being a part of a, a regular podcast? And and then what's been like one of the biggest challenges for you doing doing like a, a full podcast throughout the whole season? The most interesting thing. Mm-hmm. I guess the pros and cons, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I'm not that polished, folks. <laughs> no, you you playing the point guard puts me in my proper place, man. I, I love it. That's why we I think we're a good team. Um, the most interesting thing is I think is just just having this this opportunity because it's, it's not something I'm particularly accustomed to. Like I've never done a regular pod on a specific team before, so just that in and of itself was very interesting um, for me. I think the, the toughest thing maybe I think the toughest thing for me and this also I haven't written a whole lot um unfortunately this season but it also goes into that as well is trying to keep myself informed but not letting what I read or hear kind of dictate what I say, like using that to form my own opinions rather than just coming here and regurgitate something I heard, you know, a more established voice within the Bulls community say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, that's actually an interesting point you made. Cause there's times where like, I'll, I'll give people this insight. I know I struggle with that because there's times where I'm like, am I saying anything that's actually unique? Yeah. I won't lie. There's times where I actually do think that like, cause it's like, well, I know what I see when I'm watching games and, and I probably have a different eye than other people. I'm still trying to get used to a lot of advanced analytics. And it's it. That's the, probably the toughest thing for me. So I'm trying to, to balance it where I'm not sounding too antiquated. So I'm trying to like absorb as much information as I can. But I think sometimes that's been my, my biggest fear is like, am I just kind of saying things that people are kind of hearing on other podcasts or whatever? But I think the truth is sometimes what you see, everybody else is seeing. And I think sometimes Bulls fans appreciate that because they know they're seeing it. And like there might be other podcasters kind of pointing out the same stuff we're, we're watching, right? That, that have the same observations. I think it's just the way that you kind of deliver it. I think at the end of the day, the personalities, I think, kind of shine through. I think that's the key to anything. Yeah. Because they were all watching the same stuff. So how do you make it unique? You know, um, 
that's been one thing too, like talking with other podcasters. I think it's always kind of like the same. That's always been interesting. Like those conversations off mic. That's the common thing. Like, yeah, there's times where it's like, man, this is, this is tough. It's always tough in a long season too. Like you and I witnessed the same stuff every week with the <laughs> to kind of take a full circle to our original discussion. It's the same thing we're noticing every week. And it's like, how do I tell the listeners something slightly different about it? And sometimes you just can't. Sometimes you're repeating yourself. Some, But it's a form of therapy. It really is. I think for people on the mic and the listeners, it's like a form of therapy. Absolutely. I think you brought up something about you know, you, you know what you see with your eyes and trying to differentiate yourself from other people. But I think that's what makes your take, my take, anybody else's take um, special and unique. Like you want to zero in on what you see and how you interpret the game, because that that's what makes you and I valuable in our own rights and makes us more valuable as a team. You know, um, it's OK to, to look around and, and see you know, other people's thoughts on things, but you want to be true to your own voice and stay true to what it is you see too. So I think um, as long as you and I continue to do that, and it's something I have to remind myself of uh, from time to time, but as long as we continue to do that, you know, we're not cheating ourselves. We're not cheating anybody who um, gives us the the pleasure of, of talking to them on a weekly basis as well. So yeah, man. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think we're on the good track, on the right track. I, I totally agree. And I guess as as we're wrapping up here, um, we're going to continue doing episodes, but I do want to thank Bulls Nation for tuning in. Um, very pleased to see consistency in the podcast in terms of, of streamers every week, downloading, listening. It's greatly appreciated. Um, and definitely a lot of uptick in activity, I think, as the season went on, um, you know, it's, it's tough during seasons like this, but, um, you know, very grateful that Bulls nation continued to tune in. Um, but we will be around. It might be a little less frequently, you know, um, especially since it's going to be a long layoff before we get to that draft lottery and before we get to free agency. Um, so there's, but we'll, we'll still be around. We'll still be around. We'll have some episodes where we maybe talk about some things that uh, will set up this coming off season. Um, and just so listeners know, there will be a, a pretty uh, decent hiatus here. I'm actually going on my official honeymoon next week. So I will be out of the country. I'll be in Italy. So, Woo-hoo! yeah. So thank God the Bulls didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, ha- well, had they, it would have been really interesting. Um, we would have gotten real creative, probably. We would have had a long layoff, which would not have been great. But, um, you know, it, it, I have to be honest, there was part of me that was like, I, you know, maybe as we were planning that honeymoon, like, you know, I think it's okay to do the last week. You know, I'm missing the NFL draft. It tells you how much I love this woman. Um <laughs> But I have to give a shout out to my wife, Julie, because she lets me continue to do this podcast. She's fully supportive of me getting on the mic doing this. So got to give her a shout out, of course. Um, 
but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, hopping back on the mic soon and, and getting into some of the details about the off season. So big thanks to, to Bulls nation. There certainly will be more. Any last thoughts before we sign off here? I'll just, I'll be crossing my fingers, my eyes, my toes, anything else I can cross that the Bulls strike lightning again and are able to land this top four pick so that it does not convey to the magic and maybe even get some Derrick Rose magic and land the number one pick. Wouldn't that be something? You know, 15 years later, exactly 15 years later. So, and the Bulls at that point were the ninth seed i believe in the eastern conference so it's kind of there, there's some parallels there's some parallels slight parallels I mean 10th but you know um yeah i mean i i would love to see that happen so i think we'll definitely get into some of that as we get closer to uh the lottery uh you can continue to follow the podcast so you can stay up to date because again these episodes are going to be a little more spread out so you definitely want to subscribe uh, wherever you stream your podcasts, you know, we're there, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you go to you stream your podcast, you will find the rebuildable podcast. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Mencha until 88. Drew's at look what Drew did. Rebuildable podcast is at rebuild underscore a underscore bowl. And it's been a lot of fun despite the moments of, uh, chaos, lack of, uh, excitement from the bulls. There's some drama here and there, but still a lot of fun. Still great to interact with you. With Drew Stevens, I'm Matt Gentile. Thanks again, Bulls Nation, for listening this season. And we'll catch you soon. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.